like as a chemist, I like right and wrong, black and white answers. And the brain, human emotions, although they are wired in like chemical interactions, mm-hmm. emotions are not black and white. Like decisions, the human experience is not black and white. It is gray. It is like this like incredible, like, you know, rainbow of watercolors. It's like all mixing together. And like, that's what's beautiful about, uh, you know, life. And that's what makes human, the human experience so rich. But I mean, like, I am a firm believer that belief and cultivating a positive belief, not only in like positive self-talk, like, you know, during a race or whatever, what we talked about earlier, but belief in yourself and belief in a cause like that can actually shift like shift perspective shift out medical outcomes I mean it's been proven time and time again in medical research in human studies that the placebo effect so something that like even if it's like a sugar water pill if you're taking it and you're a cancer patient and they say this is a miracle drug they will see improvements in that cancer patient's pathology like there's there's just something that like belief in yourself belief in something has a physical tangible like outcome and like measurable positive results that my friend was hillary allen and this is the inspiration runners podcast hey everyone hope you're all well my name is robin marsh and i'm your host so welcome to the podcast have to apologize for not getting a podcast out over the last few weeks but we have an awesome episode to bounce back with. I find it absolutely mind-blowing what Hillary Allen has achieved over the last couple of years. Falling 150 foot off a ridge during a sky run in Norway, miraculously escaping what was almost certain death. Being told you're never going to compete again, I can only imagine the emotions that must have flooded her body as she lay in her hospital bed with 14 broken bones and hardly able to move. Fast forward 10 months later and she crosses the finish line in the 48 kilometers Cortina mountain race in first place. It defies belief, it blows my mind, it really does show you what is possible if you keep a positive mind. What is even more impressive is that the following spring she slips on the ice and breaks her ankle, again has to have surgery, then five months later crosses the line in second place on one of the world's toughest mountain races, TDS, on the extended 145km course which takes in over 9,000 metres of vert. As amazing as the story is, I thought it important not to go past how amazing Hillary was pre-accident. Graduate who started running 2011, ran a 251 marathon and moved her way up the rankings to first in the world in the Sky Running series. Before we start, I'd just like to give a quick shout out to our virtual challenge, which starts on the 11th of December, the Mole Mountain 77's virtual climb. There are a set of mountains which we are lucky enough to have locally, seven of which are over 700 meters. So you have 12 weeks to climb the 17,052 feet. Doesn't matter what way you do it, on the roads, the stairs, treadmill, you name it, it's up to you. On the mountains would be my preferred choice, obviously. There are whispers that some people are going to blast it out in 24 hours to compete for the totally awesome 7-7s finishers buckle. You can find the link in the show notes. Don't want to delay you any further. So it's with great pleasure I give you Hilary Allen. Your story is so inspiring, but there's, there's almost two two sides to your story. There's the one that overshadows a phenomenal story about this graduate who become you know ranked first in the World Sky Running Series. 
Um, and then the other, which we'll come to in a minute. Um, but I really want to unpack that first part of that story because it does get sort of clouded out a bit by this phenomenal story um, that's happened <laughs> since 2017. So, like, yeah. how did you originally get into a sort of running, I suppose, to begin with? Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for saying that. I mean, it's uh, I, I feel like my maybe more quote unquote, like a lot of people know me for the accident story, but um, I was kind of re- like when I got into trail running, um, I quickly discovered this style of running that I absolutely loved. And it was more of this sky running style. And actually in in the United States, they don't really have that many sky races. And so I started running in graduate school just for fun. I was in a PhD program for a neuroscience and structural biology. So I was, I'm, I am a big nerd and yeah. I'm I, I needed, that. <laughs> I needed uh, in fact, I'm like, I was drinking out of my periodic table chemistry mug this morning. So still have it. Um, but uh, that's, that's stuck with you for life now. You do understand that. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> It's like, it's how I view the world. It's actually a big reason that draw that drew me to uh, trail running in general, because I think it's a really cool way that you can experience the, um, the physical world. And I'm just a very curious person. And so I was able to kind of like experience chemistry and like physiology in real time, like when I was running and then like just observing the trails and the wildlife. Um, a bit more connected. So yeah. Yeah. And, um, that's literally the the thing that drew me to the trails. I, I grew up in Colorado and so I, I've, I've been an outdoor person my entire life, but running, um, never really clicked until graduate school. And it was just this simple act, this like simple motion that all I needed was a pair of shoes and I could just go anywhere. And I loved that simplicity of it. <clears throat> and then it quickly, like for training for my first marathon, actually, I started trail running as my recovery runs. And then the more I like, you know, got closer to the marathon, I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do road running. And I like had this crazy goal to break three hours in a road marathon. And once I did that, I was like, no more. <laughs> I don't want to do age, this What anymore. age were you when you were training for your first? Uh, let's see. I was... 24 yeah. 25 so you broke the sub three mm-hmm. what marathon and was that? oh so so this is actually funny i ran california international marathon as my first marathon it was the year i forget which year it was but it was the like 2011 um when they had like torrential downpours and like half the elite field like dropped out i mean i wasn't elite but still I ran it and I like didn't have a horrible time because it was like, you know, kind of gritty. And I ran a 315 for my first uh, marathon. And then I like, I basically did a self-supported marathon around Washington Park in Denver, Colorado. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know. I had someone just help me with it. Um, like my, my training buddies, like they, they were like doing aid stations. And so I ran a 251, uh, there on like loops of wash park it was the worst experience ever <laughs> and then and then but i transitioned to running yeah, trails that's, <laughs> that's crazy though like so where did 315 because 315 i don't know it was like a 730 sort of uh, pace uh, marathon yeah like, i could um I could do the math. it took me i don't know to get 
I'm going to say 15 marathons to get a sub 330. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> um, you, you obviously had a good base going yeah, into and that I, in some way. Yeah, I would say actually. So my father is actually from from the UK. Um, he he good genes then in, good genes uh, exactly. <laughs> and um, so he actually he grew up in Isle of Skye, um, but his father was English, and so then he he spent a lot of time in like the Taunton Somerset area. Um, before moving to uh, the United States, but he actually, so he's 77 now and, you know, 50 plus years ago, he ran a 228 marathon. So that was like, that was like elite standard back then. So it definitely is in my genes. So was that an inspiration growing up the whole time? Yeah. I mean, we were always a really active family. And in fact, actually my my sister, she was the runner of the family. She was super fast. And like she ran like a sub 18 minute 5k for a high schooler, which was like yeah. really fast. Um, me, I was over here like training for tennis and team sports and doing like, you know, a 20 minute 1935 K just to stay in shape. And, you know, you're, you're saying <laughs> that as if that's no big deal. Like, but yeah, I mean, it's not that sub, fast though. It's honestly. a sub 20. You have to say sub 20. <laughs> it's not like a 19. It's a sub 20. It's like a sub okay. three. <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess like I, I mean, I got into maybe more um, like of I, I, I actually PR'd in a 5K during some of these like training workouts for the marathon. So, um, and I'm pretty sure in the marathon that was like my, that was definitely faster than my 1930 yeah. 5K maybe. But it's that, it's always a good um, telltale where your marathon's going to be, isn't it? Where your 5K is during the training, because it's important to have yeah. both of those things together not just the long endurance but 251 that was phenomenal though even though (laughs) you were motivating yourself to run round and round um, obviously you were going after the sub three and that's what that was all about yeah and it was like I had some really good um mentors early on um the how I got into actually road running and trail running was through um it was basically their own designated track club but these three ladies who were about like 50 early 50s when I met them and they, Janie DeLucor, um, this name is actually familiar in the front range um, in Colorado because she held the record on the Pikes Peak Ascent, wow. um, the, like the half marathon course um, up to Pikes Peak, the 14,000 foot peak in Colorado. Uh, she held that record in the 80s before it was broken by Kim Dobson um, in the early 2000s. And Janie trained me for my first marathon. Wow. And like this, the, she was a, she was an elite marathoner back in like her, her prime along with her two other training partners that still run, you know, today. And so that's my, that was my introduction. So like hard work, you know, show so up. So you had a bit of structure, like even from your, fir- <clears throat> from the off really, because most oh, yeah. of us just go out and try and run 20 miles once <laughs> with really bad running shoes on and hope that on the day it's going to come together, which it never does. <laughs> so. Yeah. I know. So Janie really helped me. Like we did a ton of tempo. Like I was doing like two workouts a week, like just as like kind of my, like, you know, this, like, you know, introduction into running and because I've always played sports my whole life. And so that was kind of straightforward to me of like doing workouts and like, you know, having kind of a team. Um, and then Janie again, like, so she was a strong marathoner, but she really loved trails. And so I, she, she basically, you know, taught me how you do that uh to run trails and in fact i think it actually 
I have a nickname in the trail running world. It's called Hilly Goat <laughs> because I love to go uphill. And um, I honestly think that Janie taught me that because Janie, when she would run, she would never go into a power hike. She always did this like little like kind of, I call it like the the princess like pitter patter <laughs> where you kind of like always have a, a cadence and you always just keep yeah. running, running, running uphill. Even if it gets super steep, you just take more steps. And it's a pretty efficient way to learn how to trail run and run uphill efficiently. And I, I, I hate people like that because you know, you're, <laughs> you're trying to power walk. <laughs> and like, they look like they're not even moving, but you know, a minute later you look up and they're halfway up the climb and you're still sort yeah. of power walking up. It is, it's very effective though, isn't it? It's very effective. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what I, I she, she kind of like, I think taught me that the uphill train and I, I immediately, then I was not afraid of like the steeper train and that kind of, at first when I started trail running, I was terrified of running downhill. But then as I kind of mentioned at the beginning of this was um, I got into kind of sky running, which is um, even in the US, like you, you've probably heard of like speed goat 50 K. Um, yeah, we had him on, the we had him on the podcast. So yeah, did. so he's a legend. Oh, like <laughs> he is a legend, and <laughs> let me like let me tell you, I have a love hate relationship with Speedgo and with Carl because he changes the course every year to make it like a little bit harder, like a little bit more gain, a little bit like more technical. <laughs> We're always <laughs> trying just, to always really trying fun. to push the envelope <laughs> a little bit. Like Lazarus Lake yeah. is has got yeah. a lot. To, like Laz, obviously with the Barkley, he's pushing that more mm -hmm. and more. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's what people want, isn't it? Just a little bit past yeah. impossible, like. But you know, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. there. Like if you put enough focus in it, he just he likes breaking people, but he likes people stepping out, <laughs> stepping out of their comfort zone and achieving it. That's that's the main goal, yeah. really, isn't it? And I think that's like what I loved about trail running is that something that seems impossible. You just keep on, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. And then eventually you're up the climb. Eventually you've like, you know, in, in speed goat, it's like the top of, what is it? Mount Baldy or something like this. Um, and you're doing this, like you're doing this incredible descent down this riverbed. And, you know, you look at this course profile before you go out and you're like, how in the world am I going to run 31 miles with, you know, like over 11,000 feet of gain and descent? And then by the end, by the time you cross the finish line, you're like, oh, yeah, it was more like 12,000. <laughs> yeah. There's something to be said there when you're, you're talking about the pitter-patter going up the steep ascents as well, because yeah. that's quite mental as well, isn't it? Because I find yeah. I start feeling sorry for myself half the way up. Of course, I'm meant mm -hmm. to be walking up here. You know, look how <laughs> steep it is. How yeah, else are you going to get up there? But if you're used to actually, you know, doing that yeah. pitter-patter, it takes away that yeah. mental thing. You just get back into your technique. Yeah, and honestly, like I, I, I would credit this to Janie as well. It's like I think for me, it's also like I really, really like mental challenges. And honestly, I remember in Speedgoat, like the year that I won it, like in 2016 or something, it was like second time running the course. And I remember some of the climbs in the back half of the course is it never gets like easier the, later on in the race. Like it just seems to get steeper. And I would like play this game with with myself. I would be like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna run until that tree, and then I'm gonna like power hike for ten steps. Then I'm gonna run again, and then it would kind of like get me into this like I could see progress because I was like passing people, or it was just something for me to focus on. Then the climb would be mm. you know over. But I really like those mental practices to be able to just kind of like stay focused and yeah, because yeah. most of this that we're talking about is all about mental like strength yeah. and ability and focus and how you 
stop listening to the the rubbish that you keep telling yourself and how you play tricks yeah. for yourself and you know you you're, you're yeah. your worst enemy when you're on course yeah i mean i mean i'm a pretty um like high functioning individual so it's like i like to stay busy i like my mind to be engaged i like my body to be engaged but I mean, this is also, I mean, we can get into this later, but this is something that I really had to come face to face with um, in my recovery is like that kind of like negative voice in your head. I mean, self-criticism is, um, it it can be um, not a gift, but it can be um, like a strength if you use it to motivate yourself and and be better. It can Um, can be your your worst enemy or your (laughs) best friend. I think that's the way to describe it. Yes. And, and I mean, it for sure is that way. Cause I feel like a lot of, a lot of people can, you know, they, they are that way. Like they are very high functioning individuals. They're very goal goal oriented and especially runners. Like there's a lot of type A's out there <laughs> and uh, you know, like they can get in their own way. So um, yeah, it's, it's all about balance. I think. Yeah, how, how important do you think that like 251 was um, crossing over into your trail running and being so successful? Because you, you started a, in a good path and you get in that good pace. You didn't just go straight mm-hmm. into the gnarly, gnarly sort of ridges that we're about to talk about. Like um, <laughs> but bringing that pace and that strength and that training and that structure, like that's obviously really helped you. Yeah. So honestly, I think how that helped me the most was because I didn't come from a running background. You know, my family was very athletic and, you know, my sister and my father were both runners. Um but what helped me, I was like, a, I was a tennis player in college. That's, you know, I was a part of team sports, but running workouts were different. So that really taught me the discipline and kind of the structure that it would take to, to, um, to just, just to achieve these big goals. To improve yourself. Yeah. And it was yeah. so cool because that, that first year of running, like from a 315 to a 251, like that's a huge improvement, but like you know, it was, I think the potential was there on the, on the first day to do like maybe a 305 or something like this on that first marathon. But, um, you know, it's your first one. Things don't always, always like go to plan, like go, go to plan. Sounds pretty good (laughs) to me. 315 on your first one. (laughs) But running is all about building blocks, isn't it? And that consistency, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that is the key thing. Like, you know, so like having that, and that's exactly what you're doing. And when you got 251, like you get out what you put in, you really learn that very quickly. Yeah. And that was also this thing that I just loved about running. And I'm, I would say, I mean, you could argue based on like what I've told you or like my family history or my genetics that I had a certain amount of talent associated with running. Like it, like, you know, it's kind of like maybe more my jam with the trail running, but, um, I'm, I love hard work and I love that about running that if you put in the hard work, you see the reward. And that's just something that I think is so beautiful about the sport. And even if like, you know, these longer distance trail races, they don't always go according to plan, but that's actually the fun part of it. Because if you, if you keep on trying to problem solve your way through it, you can figure it out and you can still have a really successful race, even if it's not like perfect. And I think that's the transition that really drew me into trail running because there's a bit more of this unknown factor, a bit more of the mental factor you just kind of had to like gut your way through and figure it out with road running. I think it's like, you know, if you fall off pace, you fall off pace and like, there's really nothing you can do. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I saw of things, I started off road running as well myself. Um, what I found going into long distance sort of ultra running and trail running, it's more of a path of self-discovery, isn't it? You're finding more and more about yourself. 
you know the deeper yeah. you go the more mistakes that you make the the barriers that you break down you know on the road i found like i was trying to hold pace and you'd lose pace but i was never getting that sort of depth um that mm. i'm getting out of ultra running and i think yeah and that's what draws me in because yeah. where d- where does that end? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's a bit disappointing this year with 2020 because last year I had so many failures. Come at the end yeah. of the year, I felt I, you know, I was just excited for the next failure and the next race because I was learning so much and it gave yeah. me so much more confidence. And um, we will talk yeah. about TDS later on as well. But I was in CCC last year. And okay. And like there was one part that I was definitely for pulling out, you know, I phoned the wife and said like, I am out of this race. She goes, <laughs> absolutely not. Keep going. Uh, and um, That's a good, that's good right there. That's yeah. good. <laughs> and when I crossed the line, it was like, whoa, how do I get into UTMB? That was absolutely fantastic. Mm. You know, that's awesome. And I was sitting there so excited about my next event. Cause I'd learned so much about myself through that one race. Yeah. And that's what sort of draws you to those type of races, which is different than road running. Yeah. And, you know, I'm really glad you said that because I think uh, some of my most favorite, like the, the, the races that are my most memorable and at least some of the, the races that um, like stick in my mind the most are the ones that weren't like necessarily perfect. The ones that like did not go to according to plan. And I had to kind of like fight my way back and it's because you get to learn so much. It's because if you if you feel like giving up and you choose not to, you end up learning so much about yourself and like what's even possible. Like it makes me fall in love with ultra running even more. Um, this particular race, I remember it was like a world championship race in um, the Pyrenees. It was a 110 kilometer race, like my first 100K plus race. And it had something insane, like 6,000, no, 8,000 meters of positive gain. It was was insane. And um, I started off well. It was fine. Um, I was in like a podium position because like, you know, I, that was my goal. And um, 50K into the race, my stomach just like something happened. It just kind of like went sour. And it was the first time that that had happened in my, in my career. And I like, you know, fell back into like 15th position was like thinking about quitting because I was like oh I'm not on my goal and I kept on going and I kept my my parents in fact had like flown out and were like supporting me in like the Pyrenees like not even speaking Spanish somehow making it to every aid station yeah. <laughs> that's amazing and in like, itself isn't it when they just pop up out of the blue you're like yeah how was how, like, how was that even how, possible how did you get here I know it's just like I'm like neither of them speak Spanish it's like <laughs> I was like, so they kept on showing up for me. And I was like, I cannot quit. Like it was one of the races where I wanted to quit so badly because like I couldn't eat anything for like 10 hours. Like I was eating like, like water, seltzer water and like a little bit of ginger ale. And if I like went past a certain pace on the uphill, I would just like keel over and throw up. Like it was bad. And I just thought somehow like kept on going. Sounds like every one of my races, by the way, but keep going. (laughs) Well, then, then you reach a point where like, actually, it was like, I think the sun was setting. It was probably the last 20 kilometers of the race. Like I just kept I hit this rhythm. And I was able to kind of run a little bit more like still not super fast. But then I started passing people. And like, but I didn't even know if there were men or women because it was dark. So I, I didn't know I just kept on going. And I just I kept on not giving up. And then by the end of the race, somehow I managed to place fifth. And I like, yeah, I, I crossed the line and I was destroyed. But like, 
I didn't give up. And at that moment, I was like, wow, like this sport is so cool that you can like come back from like literally mm. not even being able to move and feeling at your worst, wanting to just throw in the towel and then like phoning your yeah. wife. <laughs> Phone <laughs> your wife to say, help, send a helicopter, please. I don't know where exactly. I'm at. Exactly. And then she's a smart woman. She says, no. And like my parents, you know, like they, you know, they, them seeing me at that level point, they're just like, oh man. But like, you know, not wanting to give up for them. And like, and, and also it just, it's, I've never really been one, even as an elite athlete, I've never been one to really like hold too much weight on performances because i know in a sport like ultra running like a lot of there's a lot mm. of moving parts and i can't like define my success as a human or an athlete based on one result um and so like that was one of the first races where i really had to swallow that and be like well i wanted to be here but like i had to accept where i was at and still keep going regardless of a podium position regardless of like you know like what i thought was going to uh, how that was going to reflect on my, you know, cr world rank or whatever. It's just like let go of all of that and just run because you're learning something. It's teaching you something, and you're having relative relative fun. <laughs> the the beautiful thing about it is, you always take that learning forward. So the next time you're in that situation, you sort of go back to that time, and you know you can get through it. You know, your yeah. if your stomach goes again, like, you know, well, it went, it yeah. was twice as bad last time, you know, exactly. so <laughs> this is nothing compared <laughs> to that. Like, exactly. And, and the more grim yeah. it gets, the more learning you take forward with you, I suppose, <laughs> like, you know, oh, this isn't bad. And it really is relative, like, isn't it? You know, it's like, I used to think, I think what happened to me in CCC was it was a new level of suffering. You know, I mm -hmm. could accept suffering because I'd learned how to, when I, you know, I call it suffering, like, but you know, when you're struggling and you're, and you're fine and you're, yeah. you hit one of your nasty climbs. Um, but I've been here loads of times before, but it was a new level for me. And then I stopped, yeah. I stopped accepting it. And then <laughs> if you stop accepting it, you start resisting it. And then yeah. your mind starts playing tricks with you and it went down the rabbit hole with it. But then there was a part through the race. I went, well, actually, I could actually get only about an hour off my time. I could get onto that next hour mark. And boom, you know, you yeah. the last 5K I was running 730s, like clipping my heels, go, woohoo, this is right? great. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> you're thinking to yourself, like, what was going on there? Like, was I just really exactly. feeling sorry for myself that whole time? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> your mind had just let you go. And that's like, that's a really, so, I mean, obviously I'm a science person. So um, I've I've just moved into a new place here in Boulder, at Boulder, Colorado. And um, I was sifting through my books. I'm like, love reading. And I was, I came across this book called Endure by Alex Hutchinson. He's a famous um, like physiologist. And I remember reading in this book that <clears throat> there's like two different parts to training, like the mental side and physical side. And so when you start to have your mind tell you things like, oh crap, like I feel like tired or like your motivation starts to wane. It's obviously it's because you're first of all tired, like physically, but it's like, it's the coolest thing that your body does because it's basically, you still have like 60% of your physical reserves left. It's just like your mind is being like, it's like your safety mechanism. So you just have to learn mind, to trick it. It's your, <laughs> exactly. It's your protective <laughs> mind taking over. And it, but it's yeah. a real, it, it re, it's a real physical thing. You know, your body yeah. releases chemicals and shuts your mm -hmm. body down if it thinks yeah. that it's in danger. So yeah. it's, it tries to talk you out of it. And if you don't listen, it tries to sh just cut you off. 
<laughs> exactly. So ultra running is, is it, it's exactly the phenomenon that you said. Like you were having a really rough time because you were tired, but somehow you le- you like kept on going and then look what your body had in reserve at the end. Like, yeah, exactly. it's so cool. And you've got so much more, you know, nobody's life was dependent on it. You know, there was somebody that you knew their life was dependent on it and you had to get to that finish line like 15 minutes quicker. Yeah. You would have bombed down there. You wouldn't even thought about <laughs> it. And your mind just yeah. switches. And when you talked about problem solving there, that's a key thing. When you get into that yeah. position, there is a way out of it. You just need to try and work it out. It's a puzzle. Yeah. Is, and I love that because I'm a scientist at heart. So like, give me a puzzle and it's like, okay, like I will figure this out. And, you know, even going into a race, sure, for sure. I have like an A plan, a B plan, but like maybe a C plan. But for, for me, like I have like an A through Z plan. <laughs> <laughs> But it's true, like somebody said to me, like anything at all, put water over your face, try and eat something, talk to somebody, take a top off, just do, Mm -hmm. just change something. Whatever you do, don't Mm -hmm. move forward and just feel sorry for yourself. Do a little change. Yeah. Yeah. And then with a bit of luck, you'll come out of that. So (laughs) sky running is gnarly. Um, I, I done an event here. We don't have many of those type of ridges for, we do have two Mm -hmm. sky runs over here. Um, the sevens sisters and mm-hmm. the Garmin skyline but they don't have ridges in them really we're from a mm-hmm. cascade in the more mountains in northern ireland even though they're you know pretty steep up and down they're a bit like pyramids there's no real ridges in them now i had mm-hmm. signed up for a race next year um which i've had to cancel now because my foot um yeah called the dragon's back <sighs> In Wales, In no? Wales, yeah. So oh, I want to do that race. They've now <laughs> extended it to six days. It was five, 380 kilometers. But it's got a, it's got a ridge in it called Crib Goch, which, mm-hmm. is, which is just off Snowdon. And I th- <laughs> I'd signed up before I'd seen that. And I went, holy shit. Like, but do, <laughs> you, do you find, have you always been okay with those type of ridges? There's no fear with them or like... Yeah, so... It's definitely a good question. Um, So pre-accident, for sure. I mean, these were the type of terrain that I kind of, that I I loved. Um, I'm not a, I'm not like a rock climber. Like this, these ridges are definitely different than um, like proper climbing, right? Like scrambling. People don't realize (laughs) like when we talk about sky run, proper ridge sky run, you're on your hands. Mm -hmm. You're crawling up these places really. So I would say, so exactly. So sky running, it never goes above class four. Um, and so I, I divide the classes, like class one would be where you can have one appendage on the ground, like you're running, right? That's a true running motion. Class two is like, okay, like it, two, two appendages. So you're like more hiking because it's like probably a bit steeper. Class three is three appendages, like you put a hand down, you know, and class four is like, you need four. Like you're, you're, you're like, you're using all four appendages. <laughs> Um, and so sky running, there's definitely some, some stuff that requires that from the steepness, like, um, so going up it for sure. If it's like, uh, a ridgeline where it's just, just like the trail's not really runnable in my opinion. Um, because you need to, you need to kind of like work your way around it. And even sometimes on the downhills, it could be like class three because you have to like, mm-hmm. you know, stabilize yourself. But none of these ridges are like really like they're not like scrambling or like rock climbing. Like they're just like you have to be you have to pay attention. So there, it's pretty mountainous, technical, um, pay attention terrain. And a lot of the 14ers that I would go up or like some of these routes that I would do, they're 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 super steep. Like they're like that's the stuff that I like to train on. And um, 
I, I definitely had like more confidence in that because I don't know. I, I just feel some sort of connection to the earth when I get to like mm. place a hand down and like, I just love that super steep train where you're like kind of, you're really like, I feel like you're intricately moving through, through the trail and like feeling kind of, I don't know, the landscape. But it's a big achievement. It's a, it's a great achievement when you look over your shoulder and think, geez, yeah. you know, I just claimed that. You know, yeah. it's, it's an added sort of buzz about it, like, isn't there? Mm-hmm. But there is a connection yeah. to it as well, isn't there? There's something about yeah. it. You know, the mountains sort of lend themselves to us. You know, we're, we're mm-hmm. just visitors and there's that almost <laughs> respect for yeah. what you're scrambling over, really, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, that was also something that drew me to skyrunning too, is I've never been like a reckless runner. So this is kind of ironic with what happened to me. Um, but like, I'm not one to be like, oh, because this is a race, like I need to, you know, throw all inhibition and caution aside to just run as fast as I can. Like, no, certainly not. Like, I understand that the mountains, it's a gift that, you know, you're granted the opportunity to kind of go play in mother nature, um, you know, with weather, you know, all of these like uncertainties and uh, uncontrollables that like are at play every single time you go and run. Um, And I mean, I consider myself fairly lucky um, that I had so many mountain experiences and like nothing kind of really um, bad or tragic happened, especially in the type of terrain that I would like to train on. Um, But you know, in sky running the races, it's a bit more of a controlled environment. You have like safety people and like ropes if it's like super, super gnarly. But like that was just my favorite style because you got to literally go. The, the motto for sky running is start at the sea and go to the sky. And oh, it was just so amazing to be able to like, you know, like start out from this literally the sea and like r- go to the top of like the peak on this, you know, coastal mountain range and. But they are. It's it's always the coolest places, though, isn't it? Like, that's one thing Sky Run, it trumps everything Mm -hmm. from that perspective. Do you know what I mean? And and especially when you get to the top, if it's not too (laughs) now, you can can look around. Um, Yeah. The views are absolutely amazing, and they take you to so many places you had never seen. And you always get those moments, Mm -hmm. just that two or three second snapshot Mm -hmm. of something which is, whoa. There's no no camera would take it. Mm -mm. You know, it wouldn't capture it, and it just lifts your body and yeah. your and your mind and your soul and all those things together. Yeah, and that was also something that drew me to it. I love traveling and I love just exploring the world through running and 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 like going on different trails and experiencing different mountains. And of course in Colorado like in Boulder we have beautiful mountains here, but it's been so amazing to go to different places, you know, like Madeira, um an island, it's a Portuguese Portuguese island, um owned by Portugal. Um it's actually closer to Africa than anything, <laughs> like Morocco. But uh, yeah, so going to Madeira and doing some races there, Transvolcania and the Canary Islands. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's a cool it, race, though. Oh, so it? cool. You're li- literally traversing a volcano. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. What do you tell your friends there? You know, I'm just going to go and run around a volcano this weekend. Oh. I know, Hello? literally. Like uh, I know. Actually, and like it's always time and time again, whenever I was training for Transvolcania, like I've run that race twice, I think. Um, but and that was like my dream skyrunning race to to compete in. And so when I reached the podium in that race, it was like insane. Um, but uh like literally in Colorado, it's in May. And so we always get a super wet, heavy spring snow in May. And I'd be literally running in a foot, so like a meter of snow, like three feet of snow, a meter. And then, then the next day on a plane to go to this tropical island and race on a volcano. <laughs> so like, you, you yeah. find you can adapt to that okay then? The temperatures yeah. doesn't affect you too badly. 
No, I mean, no. I think, I mean, so my, my physiological side. So actually, I spent the past year in France training at sea level. Um, but in France, it was actually, um, you know, it's so it's sea level. And I would have grown up in an, in an altitude environment, right? Colorado is, uh, Boulder is like close. It's like mm, 900, 800 meters. That's why yeah. there's so and many good mountain runners come from there. Yeah. But however, I mean, I grew up here, so I think my physiology has been adapted to it. So I spent a year in France and actually um, the main difference of France is that it's a more humid environment. Mm. But the the irony there is that um, this is what I, I'm also a coach. I tell people who are trying to train for um, like high altitude races if they live at sea level that, you know, it's fine because the the adaptation that your body undergoes to train in humidity, basically being in a chronic dehydrated state is similar to those adaptations that happen at altitude. So there's a lot of people Google it. There's a lot of people Googling right now. What did she just say? She's like, <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's basically like you're dehydrated and yeah. um, like you're a little bit dehydrated when you're at altitude. And like, so that the, basically the, the, the side effect of that is uh, you're therefore anemic. Um, and so long story short, like I've never really had like a, pro- a problem with that. I mean, Colorado is a super dry environment. So maybe like, you know, it was a little bit of a shock to the system to go from, you know, freezing cold snow to racing in a heat. But again, I also think it's a choice, like just be a little bit uncomfortable in the heat and keep going. Mm. And if you let that get the better of you mentally, then physically, you're also going to crumble. That, that's a key thing, isn't it? Discomfort. No. This discomfort yeah. is um, it's one of our friends, <laughs> <laughs> you know, really. Unwelcome because, sometimes. But yeah, yeah. But, but it's. <laughs> Like without it, we're not going to be successful or progress. You know, you need to get yourself into this discomfort <laughs> as much as possible because the racing is discomfortable. Whether no matter where you're at in the pack, whether you're the front, the middle, or the back, it's not like yeah. you meet people halfway. They're not smiling. Go well, how you, <laughs> you know, it, it's grim. Like and the only way you can survive that is putting yourself into discomfort as much as possible and getting used to it and <laughs> learning how to navigate through that. Yeah, I mean, I'm laughing just because uh, this is like this is like the key thing that I do. Like I'm a very smiley person. I'm a very optimistic person. Um, but like there's been some races where I'm just like not having it and I'm like just really upset, but like, and I'm like, you know, I'm having a good time, like a relatively good time and I'll see someone that I know. Like this has happened to me in Transvolcani. In fact, like my friend, uh, Maori, he is, he was a, uh, like a reporter for Iron Far, And he's like, I was like in third position. He's like, Hillary, you're doing great. This is awesome. Like only like 10 K more to go. And I see him and like, I'm obviously having a great race, but I just start crying and I'm like, thank you. I was like, this sucks. Like, <laughs> I just, again, it's just like embracing the discomfort. <laughs> Yeah, it can be emotional though, (laughs) especially when you come when you come through the dis when you have those moments on the other side of real discomfort, like you know, and you've just come through something you think you weren't going to get through. Like that can be quite emotional. It's quite empowering, isn't it? Because you're like, ah, here I am again. It's like, you know, geez, I'm running normal again. I'm back in my rhythm. (laughs) It's like, whoa, you know, 15 minutes ago I was on death's door there. (laughs) It's pretty phenomenal. So coming back to rank first. Um, in the mm. sky running series like mm. h- how did it happen like uh, your first sky running race how did that go because that's, yeah, so that's huge f- like that's that is such <laughs> a huge thing when you think of the the gnarly people and these type of yeah. races do you know what i mean yeah and so basically when i first actually my first season as an ultra runner 
in Colorado, in like so, based in the United States, I did the sky running series um, in the United States. So basically, toured around to the most gnarly and like um, kind of technical races in the United States, and I ended up winning the series. Um, and so that was I was first in the U.S. sky running series. That was in 2014. And then the prize uh, was that I got to choose one international, like, world skyrunning series race that I wanted to compete in. And so I chose, obviously, the, maybe not obviously, but Mont Blanc 80K because it was, like, Chamonix was just iconic. And, like, it just, I just, I wanted to go there. And so that was my mm-hmm. first actual, like, world skyrunning series race. And I, um, I got third in that race. And typically, Americans don't do so well uh, because we're just not you like I think I think it's a the travel and b like but listen them guys are yeah sorry well I was gonna say like our our races just aren't as technical and like I have in Boulder Colorado like I was able to train on a 900 meter like so like nearly 3,000 feet um foot climb uh but I, like in the Alps, you can do twice that easily. Like that's up what I was going to say. Down. You know, you're, you're yeah. competing against people that are brought, um, born and bred there. Do you know what I mean? They're yeah. living on it. Like, yeah. so look at Killian Shawnee. Like, um, his mom having yeah. taken. I don't know what they were doing. At, like yeah. at four, five, six years of age, it's in their blood. Yeah. You yeah. know, so you're competing against people at that level. Mm-hmm. They are yeah. born goats. exactly and yeah and so I mean I obviously had like I was like half of a goat but like not like you know full goat status until like I experienced European sky running and so after that I think again it was like the mental toughness and just my excitement for being out there like I had success early on and so actually that first um uh world sky running series I did a couple other ones and I finished I forget in 2015 I think I was ranked fifth in the world after a series, like a uh, world series. And then um, the following summer, I kind of basically, I worked as a teacher. So I was a, a professor at a small college um, teaching anatomy and physiology and chemistry. Um, but the cool thing then is that I could take off, like the school year was over in May. And then I had the whole summer until like the end of August, early September to do like races. So I would pack my bags and move to Europe for the summer and do like a proper world sky running tour. Um, and then, you know, usually there's a, like a race back in the United States, like, you know, in September. So I could like do that with this when the school year started. Um, and then in 2016, I was ranked number three in I finished third in the sky running world series. Um, so that was a huge accomplishment to be on the podium, yeah. like in the world series. Um, and... And again, it's like to, to compete in a series, it's like it's not just you have one good race. Um, in this Skyrunning World Series, you race from May until I think the, the final is maybe the end of September, early October. So you're racing like you have to race in six races. And these are like I was in the ultra distance. So I was doing 50Ks and maybe 100K. But like you have to not only you, you can you can have star performances, but then you have to be consistent. And so, you know, like my, I would have to consistently podium or win these races, like competing with these like super strong women all from all across the world. And yeah, it was like, so it what, what was do you like, do for recovery then? Cause that must be a key part of that. Yeah. I mean, so typically how I, how I did it, it was like my spring, my, my, like basically from January until May, the first race, I would do a lot of my intensity and a lot of my um like interval training and all that kind of stuff because then once I entered race race season 
I was doing longer and then I'd have to like, you know, I basically taper, race, recover, maybe put in like a teeny bit of a training block for like a week, week and a half. And then it was all over again. And so my training during a race season was more about like um, being able to, to withstand the, uh, the, long, the long hours of training for a long race. But then I really wouldn't put any intensity because for me, that would just like, you know, ramp up my risk for injury. And so it was just kind of this game of my, my main training. I think the, the scheduled, the like um, uh, the more structured training was in the springtime leading up to the race season. And then during the race season, it's like I would use my races as my long runs. And mm. then I would just, you know, kind of recover. Because it's, it's important then not to come too far down in your performance level, isn't it, between each race? That's a key yeah. thing, like, you know, because you're coming over that, but it's only, mm-hmm. you have to drop a little bit to let your body recover, obviously. Yeah. But the key thing yep. is that you don't overdo it, that you burn yourself mm-hmm. out, that you'll fall too far down. Yeah. And then you just come yeah. to the other side and you just, you think I was good at racing, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> You said I'm all, all about, things. I'm all about <laughs> the theory. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true because then you think about it. If you if you try to get back into training too soon or do too hard of a training run before your next race, you'll just enter the race tired. And yeah. this is also my favorite way because like I was just traveling from race to race in Europe. And so I was able to kind of like, you know, have a base in Italy for three weeks before I was training for a race. And then and then I could move to my next location. One year it was like Greece and Mount Olympus. And I spent three years there kind of like training, which was more just like exploratory, like, you know, recovery hikes from the last race. And then like getting in a little bit of training to see the course for the next race. And then you know, that's how I kind of like scheduled it. And Pretty exciting um, stuff though. Like you couldn't be yeah. in better settings. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, that's all, it always kept it interesting. It was always hard to like not do too much, but the coolest thing too, with ultra running, at least I think is like, I've never been afraid to hike like for a, a run, you know, like, cause you have to practice it in, in, uh, in a race setting. So, you know, I could spend like a relatively low intensity training day. And I felt like I was like exploring these trails and that being outside it was in, and also training. It was cool. Yeah, I was really surprised this year, actually, because I had the foot injury. I wasn't doing much running, um, and I've got hiking tours company. So I was doing six hour, six or seven-hour hike on Saturday and a six-seven-hour hike on Sunday. My legs Dang. had my legs had never been stronger yeah, by yeah. hiking and yeah. not running. I was, it was really, really surprising. Like, you know, and then at the end of the season, you know, you, went, you were going for a run, and you were going up and down the mountains, and you couldn't even feel it. It's great. Yeah. I mean, that's actually from my big injury. Like that's how I got back into running. I spent a huge, like six months, uh, hiking before I was even able to run again. Okay. So we're, we're going to, we're getting very close <laughs> to that. So 2000, you were, you were third place. Um, what happened the yeah. following year from that then? Yeah. So 2017, it was like my big goal to like, try to win or, um, like, you know, at, le- at least again, podium, try to better my position from last year. Um, and so I chose like some like a really good uh, race season again, like the same idea of, you know, going to Europe and going to all these different um, races and going to the most competitive races. So I can, you know, like, um, you know, really like, I don't know, um, just ha- just yeah, like just be excited to compete and like have yeah. good. Well, it lifts, it lifts your own performance, doesn't it? Mm, you know, yeah. the, the stronger the the field the, yeah stronger the field yeah. the more you're going to perform it makes you more up for it doesn't it yeah at least for me it does for sure mm. um and plus i just like seeing 
you know, my friends and competitors. <laughs> uh, and so I had chosen all of these races. I, and actually, so um, that year I had uh, like one Madeira's uh, 55K, the ultra distance in, in Madeira. I had podiumed at Transvolcania. I was third. Um, I, let's see, what else did I do? I did a couple. Oh, I was... Um, third at the Olympus Sky Marathon. I think I had won some other ones. So I was coming into um, basically uh, Trumso Sky Race uh, as ranked number one in the world at that point. And the sky running, the Trumso Sky Race was actually a bonus race. Like it was not as a part of, it didn't, my performance at this race didn't even like no. contribute to my like ranking. It's um, just such an epic had, race, isn't it? It was such an epic race. I'd always heard about it. It's something I wanted. I've never had been to Norway. I wanted to go. Because Kevin and, and John Aiden, yeah, he's mm -hmm. the race organizer, isn't he? Yeah, so him and, and Emily were the race organizers. Okay. Uh, and so it was just epic. And so I was like, yeah, for sure, I want to go on this like this race. Um, I had one more race planned after that, which was going to kind of like be the final like deciding factor. One of my favorite races in the United States, Run the Rut 50K. Um so it was just kind of like, this is like a victory lap. It was kind of just like, yeah, like, let's go and have fun. And you couldn't write this, you know, <laughs> you, were, yeah. you couldn't write it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so basically that's kind of what happened. And uh, so I went to this race and it was just like, it's kind of how I love to do it. Of like, I love going to new places. It's my favorite way to explore. I got to see a bunch of cool things like in Norway and I got to like, you know, explore the island of Tromso, like, you know, and, and, and see, like, be in the Arctic Circle and, like, just, it was so epic. And the terrain was insane, like a super gnarly ridge, again, like, third class, fourth class, like, Nor Norway is super technical. Um, <clears throat> the ridge itself is, like, it's, it, I mean, ob obviously, like, it, it's, it's dangerous, but it's, it's not also, it's, like, it, it was no more dangerous than the terrain I've already been exposed to, what I've already been you know, trained on and, and had run on. But the thing in Norway that happens is that, like, it rains a lot. There's a lot of precipitation. And so that can cause shifts in, like, the rocks and the stability. Um, and, yeah, basically what happened to me during that race is about the halfway point, climbing up onto Humper Rock and Ridge just as I was getting into my rhythm. And, like, I think I had moved into third position at that point. So I was just – I was having, like, an awesome time, like – obviously performing well, but just like having, I remember I was like smiling and saying hi to like the photographers on the course that I knew, like the friends and something happened where I just, I was on this, this, the ridge, I was passing through a section and I stepped on a rock. And the next thing I knew is that I was like tomahawking through the air and the horizon was upside down and I was like falling. And like, I thought, that I was witnessing my death. I thought that I was like, that that was it, that I was dying because I, I immediately went into kind of like survival mode. Um, oddly, I was really calm. I, I still remember the, the, um, the voices in my head that I was saying to myself, like I literally told myself to, okay, like Hillary, stay calm. Like, this is it. Like you're, you're dying. You need to brace yourself for impact. And like, but like I was calm. It was like an exhale. Mm. And every time that I was in the air again, I, that voice would still go. And then I would like, I, I never felt like the pain of the impact. I felt like the pressure, 
And then some somewhere along the line, I was unconscious, and then I woke up with uh, kind of like the when the rescue operation was happening. And yeah, so it yeah. was a, it was a hundred and fifty foot fall off this ridge. Um, anybody was yeah exposed ultra running at all everybody sort of heard about this devastating fall that hillary allen had taken and <laughs> like you fell about 50 feet and then started bouncing off these gnarly rocks all the way down yeah and it's strange hearing you talk about that because it, it's a very similar thing that you hear about people talking about you <laughs> know when you're very close to death that almost that calmness and how your how your mind's overtaken then because your mind's dealing with yeah. a situation that's happening isn't it um, but it's like bang, 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 bang. You don't just get up mm -hmm. and shake down <laughs> the dust from a fall like that. So you were left in no. quite a bad position. So how many bones were broken? Yeah, up? Um, I think in total at about 14, um, maybe a little bit more. Cause I think there's like multiple bones broken in each foot. Um, but yeah, so I, I broke two places in my back. Um, I think a total of uh, five ribs, like three on one side, two on the other. Um, both of my wrists, um, like both of my feet. And I had like so many lacerations in my legs and um, I had ruptured a major ligament in my foot. Um, and then like badly sprained the other one. Like um, both of my shoes were missing. Like they had like, I was tomahawking so much they like flew off of my feet. It must, like, it was horrific for yourself, but it must have been horrific for everybody else as well that had actually witnessed anybody that had seen that, like... Yeah. Um, so who was the first person on the scene? So, I mean, like, my good friend Ian Corliss, like, he's a photographer, and Martina Valmasoy, she's a photographer for Solomon and also an athlete. Um, they both saw it through their camera lens, and, like, they thought that they had witnessed their friend dying. Um, and so, I mean, I talked to them after the accident. Like, it was, like you know, really traumatic for them. Um, but the first person on the scene was this guy, Manu, Manu Par, who is also a runner. He, ironically, he's from Spain and he lives in Norway. Um, <clears throat> but he, he's been trained in mountain rescue. He's like, you know, he, he works for a guiding company in Norway. And so like he went into survival mode and he's like really good at scrambling. And so he like scrambled down to get me and he was the first on the scene. And he literally... I went back to Tromso last year and I um, saw the course again in the place that I fell. And Manu, we, he went with me and he like explained everything that happened because I hadn't talked to him like explicitly about the event. He said that when he found me, he thought that I was dead. Like mm. he, my, not only was my body contorted in like ways, like clearly my back was broken and like my ribs, I was just like, he didn't even check for any vitals. He just was trying to like, he thought he was going to do like a body rescue. So he said he moved me away from the edge where I was probably going to like, if anything shifted, I was going to fall again. <clears throat> and it wasn't until he had moved me and he got a little bit closer that he like heard me and felt me breathing. Um, and then from there, like he had called. Um, <clears throat> Cause that, that's, how the that's how dramatic the fall was though, wasn't it? For anybody that yeah. would have observed that. Yeah. You know, it yeah. was certain death, really. Yeah. And you've talked about all your broken bones, like how you didn't like bang your head off every single rock that was going down there. Well, it's just... I know. I think that there's like, there is just, I mean, obviously there's some sort of sur survival instinct. I think that's why I broke my wrist so severely is because I was like protecting my head, right? Um, <clears throat> and also the fact that I was relaxed in the fall. Um, 
I think that helps because mm. if you're less rigid, you know, I think that can help. But um, yeah, I mean, just, I, I just had some like here, lacerations. Relaxed. Yeah, I might as no, well. No, oh, I mean, it's, like, it's <laughs> like, I mean, it's a little bit weird. Believe me, like I was. Yeah. I mean, I I know I knew this about myself before that I'm pretty calm in a crisis. Like I'm a mm. problem solver, so I'll like try to like, you know, set aside emotion and like deal with the immediate problem at hand. Um, you know, before like getting overwhelmed with like panic or fear. Um, but it was, it was pretty intense. Like I was surprised that that happened. I mean, I, I logically, I mean, I think that's also what happened, but then, I mean, I, I also think that there was a bit of like luck and, um, yeah. um, you know, a lot of luck, a lot and, of you know, luck what, whether, you know, people believe in, you know, certain yeah. things of like how, how things work out. Like, I definitely think that like, it was so funny, actually my, my, my mother, um, like, so hilly goat there's like a greek god like mythology like the goat and it's like i think it's the god of like the wilderness or like something like this but like there she was saying something about like oh yeah like good thing you have that name someone was like looking out for you <laughs> it's like, um but yeah. that that only is part of the story um so from great adversity comes great strength you know we hear that so many times and when i i don't do any prep on the podcast but yesterday or sorry on, on Thursday, um, when oh. I did look at your TED talk and things like that, yeah, it just absolutely blew my mind what happened next. You know, I mean, it was absolutely. <laughs> so you're lying there in the hospital, and only yeah. Hilary Allen can look that good in the hospital bed. By the way, those black and white <laughs> photographs. You meant look depressed. I'm saying, well, she still looks better than I do. To be fair. <laughs> Um, well, I think that's because of the photographer, maybe not me, but. <laughs> but to be class first in the world and then to be told that you're never going to run again like that is you know that's instant depression that was like a, a kick and actually so um I spent two weeks in the hospital in Norway like they took really good care of me like you know I had two surgeries there um I had an external fixation on my left wrist before I was able to fly home and, um, you know, they had booted my right foot where I had this like ligament injury because I, they actually had misdiagnosed it. Um, it wasn't until I came back to the States um, that all of this kind of happened where I, I saw a, a, a podiatrist, a foot specialist, an orthopedic surgeon. And she was like, look, this is what this is a Liz Franck injury. You're going to need surgery. Like <clears throat> and it was like pretty severe because like two weeks of quote unquote healing had already happened. Mm. And. I needed to like to 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 repair it because like scar tissue was you know gonna like anyways it was it was she said to me that it was like a foot changing injury and that I would never like she's like you need to be comfortable and you need to face the reality that you might never run again like you might jog but you're not gonna compete at the at an elite level again and I mean, looking back, like everyone says like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that like she would say that. Like she must be so blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, for sure. I wanted to like punch this woman in the face when she said that to me. Um, but I was really grateful because she allowed me to like sink into this like mm. new reality. And like I needed to be prepared that I might not have a professional running career again. And I was so grateful for her saying that to me because at that moment, I had a choice. And I chose to have the surgery with the risks. And I also continued to choose um, 
basically, I don't know myself, I kept, I, I kept on choosing to believe that I would run again and that I could run again every day after like that incredibly excruciating recovery period. Um, so what, what is your perspective on that? Cause you're a scientist and yeah. for me, you know, self-belief is such like self-belief can heal the body. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, so this is so funny because I am a scientist. I'm a chemist at heart. So like when I went into like my PhD work um, and I got a master's in neuroscience because I found running. And so I was like, I'm just going to get the master's and not get the PhD. <laughs> um, and uh, so, I mean, as a, as a chemist, I like right and wrong, black and white answers. And the brain, human emotions, although they are wired in like chemical interactions, mm-hmm. emotions are not black and white. Like decisions, the human experience is not black and white. It is gray. It is like this like incredible, like, you know, rainbow of watercolors. It's like all mixing together. And like, that's what's beautiful about, uh, you know, life. And that's what makes human, the human experience so rich. But I mean, like, I am a firm believer that belief and cultivating a positive belief, not only in like positive self-talk, like, you know, during a race or whatever, what we talked about earlier, but belief in yourself and belief in a cause like that can actually shift, like shift perspective, shift out medical outcomes. I mean, it's been proven time and time again in medical research and human studies that the placebo effect. So something that like, even if it's like a sugar water pill, if you're taking it and you're a cancer patient and they say, this is a miracle drug, they will see improvements in that cancer patient's pathology. Like there's, there's just something that like belief in yourself, belief in something has a physical, tangible, like outcome and like measurable positive results. Energy is a very real thing though, isn't it? You know, Absolutely. positive and negative. There's a great show on Netflix called Heal. I don't know if you've ever heard of that uh, or not. I haven't seen it, no. Um, and it very much goes into depth of what you've talked about and uh, yeah. the science behind that. Because a lot of it, as you yeah. say, is a lot of chemicals and how your body and mind reacts to that. And in our modern day, unfortunately, we've become disconnected from that with all yeah. of these uh, distractions that are going around us. You know, we sort of lost yeah. who we are, actually are. Yeah. So and when, I mean, when you're I think... No, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's insane. I mean, I think, especially when you get out of touch with that loss of, loss of self or loss of kind of, um, you're get caught in the noise about like what you should be doing or, you know, like comparing, um, I think it can be, yeah, super, super negative and have these like awful effects on our human psyche and therefore like, you know, mood depression and then, you know, just, like oh, th- th- this this end. podcast is so good for me you have no idea <laughs> i got surgery on my toe on one yes. toe i got surgery on <laughs> no but it's, is it the big toe because the big toe is really important in running i mean my my ligament fracture it's not, was even, right it's along. not even the big toe I'm, okay I'm, well, it's not even the big still. toe don't feel sorry no, but your, your, your feet your feet are very important well for i'm running, not running like, put it that way yeah. so um but, but that's okay yeah, no. Um, like, I, I didn't run for a long time. So I mean, talk to me about that healing process then, like, because you've been told you aren't, but you've, you've got this mindset of, okay, you've obviously had to go through that depression that everybody goes through natural, naturally, you know, you go down the rabbit hole with it. And then at some point you start coming back. Talk to me about that point 
of that positive sort of mindset when, or even you walking again or, you know, running for the <coughs> first time? Like, how did that happen? Yeah, so, I mean, this is funny too because, um, so you mentioned you you watched that TED Talk right around that time. Um, I had actually had this idea of writing a book because writing for me has been really, really cathartic, like journaling. And so I um, actually did, I wrote a book. So like all of this stuff can is like in more, like more detail. Out and uh, back, in there. out and back, yes. coming out in June out and back. on Amazon. Yeah, uh, uh, actually April. Um, oh, is it? I think so. April. So it was in June, but um, with COVID, like it got pushed back. So do, do you know April the first thing that came to my mind when I read that title out and back? I'm always yeah. the person going out when people are coming back. <laughs> <laughs> that, that needs to change. Uh, no, but I mean, I actually one of the um, the editors, she helped me with that name because it was like, I actually hate the word come back. Like I was like, and, and throughout my whole recovery, I was like, this is not a comeback. Like, I am not coming back because I am not the same person as I was. It's like, I don't know if anyone knows, like, you know, LL Cool J. Like, it's like, don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. But anyways, um, <laughs> like, uh, 90s It's a great hip-hop. name. It is a great name, yeah. though. Perfect. Um, but the, yeah, so it's just basically this, this kind of goes into this whole idea of, like, belief. It's like, I was not coming back to the same person because I had changed, like this accident changed my life. Um, It changed my perspective on a lot of things. It changed my, you know, just how I would approach things, how I'd approach sport, how I saw myself, because a lot of my identity as an athlete, regardless if you're professional or not, if you're an athlete, your identity is also wrapped up in like, in Mm. being able to move. Like it's something that we truly love. It's like, think what we're, you know, designed and meant to do as humans. And so when you have- It's the best version of yourself, isn't it? That's what it is. Absolutely. And so this is what I told myself early on is that I want to fight for that best version of myself. And regardless if I'm going to get back to running or at a, at a, you know, elite level, like it doesn't matter. Like I had to let go of that notion entirely. I had to go back to the roots of why I wanted to try to run in the first place. And the beauty of it was that I got to fall in love with that process all over again. And in that process, I got to kind of also like fall in love with, with, with myself and really cultivate that belief and really cultivate that belief in myself that, okay, like I can do hard things. And I mean, in my personal experience, the hardest things are usually the ones like most, most worth doing. And it doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that it's straightforward. But I think this is also kind of what the what the whole purpose of me writing this book was to challenge that idea that what challenge what you think is possible. It doesn't necessarily have to deal with running or overcoming a huge injury like mine, but it, it can it can transcend into any aspect of life. You know, whether you're going through a, a move or you know making new friends. Like I lived in France. You know as an adult, hardly speaking the language, you know, like that's a really hard move. Like you get to like look within yourself a lot, you know, you're going through a divorce, you're going through a breakup, like any hard experience in life, an injury, any type of injury, you know, depression, um, loneliness, like all of these things can seem insurmountable and impossible. But if you just tell yourself something positive and that it can be possible, 
then that is just, it's like a snowball effect. The more, the, the more belief that you have and the more questioning that you do to that notion of what is actually impossible versus possible, the more that I think we're capable of as humans. And it's just, you get to tap into this whole idea of human resilience and actually like experience what you're capable of in this situation that seems impossible and insurmountable. And that's, that's basically what I got to experience on a daily basis through this recovery process. And it was one of the hardest experiences of my life, but it was one of the most fulfilling and rewarding. It's what you see when you look through the window, isn't it? You, you do actually choose on how you view that picture. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's so funny. I was like, uh, normally it takes you to your 50 years of age to learn that lesson, by the way, (laughs) just so you know. That's what people tell me, but I am an old soul. So, you know, I like, you know, drinking scotch and going to bed early and there we go. But, (laughs) um, but no, I just think I just, it's always this thing of like, you know, this thing of uh, the grass is always greener. Like people are always, especially in this day of age, like comparing, like thinking like, oh, like someone else has it better. Like this is, I need to do this. I need to do this. It's like, no, the grass is actually greener where you would choose to water it. And like, it might not be like the prettiest patch of grass at the moment, but if you put enough like love and care into it, it will be. And then I I can feel book number two coming on here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Give me ideas. What is it? (laughs) Should I call it that? Um, The grass is greener where you water it. No, (laughs) too long. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about out and back there, but I get cutting the yeah. grass out and back, but yeah. um, <laughs> part two. So yeah. talk to me about that first experience where you went for a run again, because it was quite yeah. quite a path to recovery. Monumental. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember, I remember it vividly. I remember the main thing I did is I picked this path where um, it was, you know, it was a gravel path. It was, I wouldn't even call it a trail. It had no rocks. It was, you know, like even. And... I remember doing it and I was like cleared to jog by my, uh, my doctor. And I was like, okay, like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try. And so I started out like hiking cause it was like slightly uphill. And then I like tried to get into the jogging stride. And I remember I then like kind of, I did it and I was like, I stopped and I was like, oh my gosh, I just ran. And then, uh, I kind of did that repeating. Um, it's like this mile long trail and I repeated like a minute on, a minute off, like, you know, like until, or maybe it was like a minute on, two minutes off, something like this, like walking um, until I reached the top. And then like, I came back down and I called my coach and I was like, so happy. And, but I do remember though, like the first instant, like I kind of had to embrace it. I was scared because although it felt so rewarding and so incredible to be able to to run again, like that motion, that like that motion, that stride. I remember this voice in my head that I was repeating. I was like, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. And there was nothing to fall on. But like my brain remembered that the last time I had done this motion that I nearly died. And it was a huge process of like, even, and even before that point, I had been like hiking um, and doing a lot of like, you know, phys- like physical therapy. And so I'd been pretty active, like recovery was like a full-time job. Um, so, but this is the first time I had done that motion and it felt like really different. A good analogy that's in my head there, you know, it's like going mm-hmm. into the dog kennels and getting bit by a dog. 
and then having to go back into the dog kennels again for the first time, you know, six yeah. months time, you're going back into the same kennels and your mind works that way. It now knows that as a fear or a danger, yeah. should I say. And it's not just about yeah. the physical aspect, the whole man- mental strength of trying to build that back is yeah. equally as difficult. Yeah. And um, I know it was just, that was really one of the hardest the hardest things, and I'm still having to deal with some of that stuff today. Yeah. Like when I've, you know, well, done it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago. Like it was 2017. <laughs> it wasn't like way back in the day yeah. this happened. You know, it was only no, a couple of years like ago. Years, right? yeah. yeah, three years ago. Yeah. Um, so how did it feel though? Was it was it emotional? You know, to have that sense that you know this is a big possibility that I could start running again. Um. Like, I mean, yes, for sure. Like the recovery was up and down. So there was a ton of like successes and a ton of, you know, just, it was, it was awful, you know, like at, at, at certain points and it felt exhausting emotionally and physically, but like the whole, I, I describe it as a process. It was completely worth it. Um, mm-hmm. Even with how challenging it was, it was just so rewarding to be able to work that hard for something and be able to return to it. And I'm not talking about return to elite level of being able to win races or do like super, like, you know, performance, performance style elite racing. I was talking, I'm talking about just the act of running. Just, just seeing the improvement and the results of the work that you're putting in. It's that cycle again, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, it, I, I, f- I fall in love with the process. Like, I, I love the process now. Like, <laughs> But it does take, yeah. it takes a lot of focus and determination, you know, because it was 10 months after your accident mm-hmm. of your fall that you were entering your first race again, which is mind-blowing. But there's a lot of <laughs> hard work and focus. Yeah. And you have to be very careful. We've talked about it before on the podcast, through injuries, you can sit on the pity step very easily. <laughs> but it doesn't yeah. get you anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, until yeah. maybe a goal comes up and then you think, right, okay, I need to do something here. And you get into that proce- process, as you called it there, and all of a sudden you do start moving forward and then you, you're able to achieve your goal. But you entered your first race, um, was it the Broken Arrow? Was that your first yeah. race back? Mm-hmm. It's in California, Squaw, uh, Squaw Valley. A bit yeah. ironic, <laughs> the Broken mm-hmm. Arrow. Um, like, yeah. what was that experience like? Because it, was, it wasn't a short race, was it? Uh, so actually, uh, there was two races. So I decided <laughs> to rip off the Band-Aid and do the vertical kilometer, uh, oh, which dear. is like 5K and you climb, you know, 3,300 feet. Um, so, you know, 1,000 meters. Uh, and I actually, that was the that was a Friday. And then, or yeah, and then the race was, the 52-kilometer race was a Saturday. So I did the vertical kilometer on the Friday, and I got second, uh, which it was like a battle with Morgan Aratola, who she's like, a badass um and yeah like i yeah i had like a, a really good time and then um and the next day i did the 52k and that was where it was really challenging um i was so scared like what was going to happen because i had not run further than 20 miles um 18 miles before that point like uh, that recovery period um but i just told myself i was like i gotta do it i have to not be afraid i've got to run my own race and just like just do it and i didn't win like I got sixth, I think. You didn't win. But like, I mean, but I was like, but that you was did the win point. really like though. You did win really though, <laughs> didn't you? If you think about it, it was ten months yeah. after your yeah. fall, and then you came sixth. And was it what yeah, distance did you say it was? Mm-hmm. Fifty. Fifty-two kilometers. Like, yeah. How how was that possible? Like during your recovery aspect, like is it mm-hmm. just 
Like, what were you doing to ensure that that could happen? I was doing a ton of PT. Um, a lot of my running miles were um, hiking or like, you know, that was my cross training. I hadn't really incorporated cycling at that point yet. Um, but a lot of like hiking, um, just being really smart about like not doing too much and honestly making sure that I came into the race excited and like happy. Um, yeah. So what follow on that then? Was it Katina? Yep. So actually Cortina race. So this is, I had planned to go to Italy. It's like one of my favorite races in the yeah. whole entire world. Um, North Face was a sponsor at the time. And so I was planning to do kind of like a speaker series event there. I wasn't even planning to race. But after the Broken Arrow Sky Race, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to do the race. Like, I love the Dolomites. I want to run around and just, like, have fun in one of my favorite places on Earth. And that race I actually won. <laughs> like, that uh, is just... That's how, how long after was that race? From Broken Arrow? Yeah. Uh, it was a week after. <laughs> but that it's mind-blowing, though, isn't it? Now, yeah. Take yourself out of the picture and just look at yeah. it as if it was somebody else. I think 10 months after the accident um, to enter a 48K race and actually win it. Like if somebody had said that to you two days <laughs> after the accident when you come around in the bed and, you know, you've been told that you, you might not be able to run again, don't worry about it in 10 months' time. That would have been the most damaging thing somebody could have told you, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fine, that's fine. Yeah. Then just sit back and relax. Yeah. You've talked about the Dolomites then. Then you went to Lavaredo. Yeah, so that was basically the Lavaredo race. Instead of the longer race, it was the shorter 48-kilometer okay. race, the Cortina Trail. And so the Lavaredo race happened that same weekend. Um, okay. But I had done, I had just like know the race director, um, Christina, she's amazing. And so uh, she was like, yeah, sure, hop in. It's, it's fine. I was like, okay. And I literally had no intention of racing it. I literally just wanted to run. But I was so happy. And I, of course, it wasn't always like, like, of course, it hurt at times, but, like, I was just so happy to be out there and so happy to be moving, and I ended up just winning the race, and I have a course record at that race, and I was only maybe, like, you know, five to ten minutes off of that pace, so I was like, okay. <laughs> a, hu a huge boost of self-belief. That was actually my A race this year was Lavaredo. Yeah, um, oh, it's such a cool race, yeah. Unfortunately, it got cancelled this year, but it will, it's, it's ahead of us, like, so... Coming into 2019, I'll not hold you up much longer because I know I'm stealing <laughs> your time. Like, um, yeah. But TDS, like, yeah. there was two people sort of stood out in that race. Oh, sorry, not in that race, on that weekend, <laughs> should I say. One was Courtney, obviously, who yeah. had a gruesome first place, Oof, you know, yeah. she, but that is just pure Courtney through and through. <laughs> she yeah. doesn't like to do it yeah. easy. No. Um, <laughs> and then... Like there was rumors come through that Hillary Allen had taken second place in TDS, and it's like, <laughs> like Hillary Allen <laughs> that had fallen off, and they were like, yeah, and it's like no way. Um, a friend of ours, um, Gavin Byrne, um, done that race yeah. as well. He's yeah. a phenomenal runner from Ireland. Gavin, and he's so great. I love Gav. Yeah. <laughs> and we had Anna Carson on the podcast as well. Like, but that was like 145 kilometers over 9,000 meters of gnarl as well. Like, because it's it's the toughest race, most probably there now, oh. based on the additional distance Hands that we've down. added. Hands um, down. Hence the reason you can get into it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you yeah. can't get in the other ones um, because yeah. it's such a difficult race now, especially as they extended it. Um, but that was that must have been a real mind shift for you coming second in mm. that race. Yeah, I mean, honestly, TDS, like, so here, 
we're missing a crucial part of this thing though, but I'll, uh, I'll tell it here. Um, TDS, it was my longest race ever that I was going to do at the original distance that was published. So that was 125 kilometers. But of course, after I had already signed up, they had changed it to 145. And I was like, well, okay, like it's basically going to be my first 100 mile race. Like, sure, let's just do it. And not only, I mean, it, it suited my style. It was like super gnarly, like technical, um, more so way more technical than UTMB. I've done the Tour de Mont Blanc many times and TDS was like, makes it seem like, you know, a track course. Um, but uh, so I had signed up for TDS full intention of doing it. I was 2019. I had finally felt recovered. I was ready to like have a full race season. Um, I, you know, I had like prepared to go to Europe to, you know, do Lavaredo and then like do TS and I had a full race season planned. But um, my literally like my third week into kind of like training um, slipped on the ice, broke my ankle. That yeah. is, that's unbelievable. Like, isn't it? Like, they say it comes, and, yeah, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I literally, I, um, you know, and everyone is like, oh, but this, it was, a, it was a severe ankle. Like it was a significant break. I had to have surgery on it. So, yeah. you know, we well, were anything to do with the ankles, you know, <laughs> when you're doing these type of races. Yeah. You know, I told the yeah. ligament in my left ankle last year and my right ankle this year. <laughs> mm, Bo- both really, times on the yeah. flat but it, it takes yeah it adds fear into your downhill descending and things like that doesn't it and i was already you know dealing a lot with that like in the the right foot um that i had injured the ligament of my foot in and so like you know i was finally feeling confident again and for that to happen it was not only like a just a a dig emotionally but like ob- obviously mm. physically and I literally had to, I had to have surgery. I had to have a plate and four screws put in my, in my fibula. And I couldn't walk for five weeks. I uh, had to learn to rewalk again. This was February. And the whole time I was still, I had still not taken my name off of TDS. Because I was like, well, maybe we'll see. Like maybe I could do it. And granted, this is my longest race ever. And I'm not able to run a step until April of 2019. So April, May, June, July, that's four months to go from zero to 145K technical outrunning shape. <laughs> and, zero uh, to hero. Yeah. And so basically, um, yeah, I somehow made it happen. This is when I discovered like gravel cycling. So there's a silver lining in everything. And I was able to do like to embrace gravel cycling. And like I did my like this dirty Kansas 200 mile gravel bike race. And now I incorporate gravel cycling into my, you know, training routine. And I mean, TDS was just not only was it just like mentally, I remember there's this one point during the race, like it was super competitive. Like I hopped on the start line. I was just like, you know what? I am just happy to be here. Like, let's see how it happens. It's a long race. Like, I want to give it my best. I, you know, like my coach was like, you know, you have the potential to win it. But like, I just wanted to finish it. And it turned into like a battle from the start. We were like, the three of us, Audrey Tenje, and uh, she's a French woman for Hoka. And um, Catherine, Go- I forget her last name. She's runs for Compersport. She's a German, I believe. Um, us three were like battling between first, third, first, second, and third the whole entire race. Like, and I remember there's this, like, we were within minutes of one another. 
And I remember the, like, I was, I actually started the race in the lead. Like, I took the lead on the first downhill. And um, then, like, held on to it. Then we were kind of going back and forth. And I remember, like, another time when I, like, had gained the lead again. And I held it on the downhill. Like, it was that moment where I had had so much trouble, like, with confidence and downhill running. Specifically with the first, the ligament fracture from the accident. And then the ankle break. I remember like running on that downhill and maintaining the lead. And I was just like, yes, like it was just this like shivers, like going through my body. It was like, this is, this is awesome, Hillary. Like you didn't give up on yourself. Like you're, you're here running it. And like, you're, you're like, this point was like maybe 80 kilometers into the race. And I was like, there's like, it does not matter how this finishes. You are finishing this race. And like, this is going to be, this is going to be a success. And then, you know, at the end of the day, I got second place and only like 10 minutes behind, behind Audrey in a 145-kilometer race. It was, like, insane. It was awesome. <laughs> you must have, like, a total different... Like, how did that feel crossing <laughs> that line? You know, it's just, like... It must I had shivers, um, like... Yeah. <laughs> so, basically... Yeah. It's a real difficult thing to comprehend, though, like, because what you've come through again and again and again and to cross that, like, you must be really excited about what's ahead of you. And, see, this is also, like, going back to that kind of that cultivation of belief something that's gotten me and I think it's like the motto of who I am like it's like my mission statement as an athlete it's believe that your best athletic days are ahead of you and I honestly think it's timeless because to me I mean it doesn't matter about like a time like it matters about the experience it matters about you know like what you learn in the process and you know no matter if you're a new runner or, you know, like you're getting into run, like trail running when you're 50 years old, like it's it just, it, it, there's always a new experience. There's always like a better version of yourself and like that, that you can achieve, that you can work towards. And that's something that just, you know, like just that motto, believing that my best athletic days are ahead of me in the, in the injury recovery, you know, from the accident and from the ankle break and, Every endeavor that I undertake now, that's always what's in the back of my head. Hillary, we couldn't top that. So a beautiful <laughs> way to finish the podcast. Thanks very much Thanks. for your time. I know I stole it an hour and a half. There's no <laughs> way I was letting you go. <laughs> we find, okay. I finally got you. I actually had a friend, John Murphy, yeah. sent me a message there just before the podcast yeah. um, saying, hi, Robbie, how's recovery going? I had a fall mm. whilst out running three weeks ago and picked up multiple injuries and I'm feeling fairly fed up. Um, he was mm. obviously looking somebody to put his arm around him. And I just copied and pasted your TED talk and oh. reposted it and said, take a spoonful of that. Oh. <laughs> and he, he come back and goes, that was epic, just what I needed. Oh um, my gosh, that's amazing. Thank you. And, you know, it was the same sense when I was taking a, a quick insight into some of your interviews and what, what you'd achieved. And I think that's what the books, I'm really super excited about the book coming out, um, out and back coming out yeah. in april i'll definitely plug yeah. it um through our social Please media do. strands um because yeah. it's about shining your light you know you've learned this and you've you've actually bottled it through the book and now it's yeah. about shining that light to people that are maybe feeling a bit doom and gloom or they're suffering with this injury or struggling through something in life um, yep. which actually may be one of the best gifts they've ever received it's just mm -hmm. how they perceive that and sometimes yeah. we don't see it until we're past it so thanks very much yeah yeah, and I think just to reiterate that, I think it's inside all of us. It's just we need an opportunity to uncover it and discover it. And 
sometimes the, the silver lining is is that you know through these hard moments you actually get to learn that you know that little nugget and you know it, it becomes the shining light that you can carry with you through anything and any challenge in life at the start of the podcast i always pull out one statement i don't know yeah. which one to pull out there's <laughs> about 10 of them <laughs> Harry, that's excellent you know what i'm gonna do i'm actually just gonna post this um i'm not gonna edit awesome. it at all like so it's gonna be cool. up in about an hour's time so winner sweet appreciate that thank you yeah um, let me know really really I'll looking forward to the book comes yeah. uh, the book comes yeah. out and seeing how you progress now through next year hopefully we get past yeah. this mess that we're in at the minute i know me too um another and challenge yeah but thank you so much it was such a pleasure wow absolutely mind-blown there's a few times there that i was absolutely speechless and anyone knows me that is a very rare occasion what an epic episode super inspirational person exactly what this podcast is all about Super excited for a book release in April, out and back. I've added the Amazon link to the show notes and we'll send you out a reminder closer to the time, something you don't want to miss. Sorry for not having a podcast out over the last few weeks, but glad to say we're back on track. Pam Reed's episode being released tomorrow, so you're being spoiled at the minute with some truly amazing female athletes. True inspirations. So until then, stay safe and keep on moving.